Welcome to El Podcast. About a year and a half ago, I recorded our very first podcast with Megan Draving, who is host of Little Less Toxic on YouTube to discuss the journey of quitting caffeine. My goal was to go six months without any caffeine or alcohol. I was only able to make it about three months before I broke down and consumed my very first cup of coffee once again. And it was glorious, just in case anyone is wondering. But anyways, here is El Podcast's very first episode. I'm happy to have Megan on, who's from the YouTube channel, Little Less Toxic. Megan is 10 months free from caffeine. She's been unshackled, and you could clearly say she actually is a little less toxic. So we're going to have her, <laughs> yeah. right, we're gonna have her on today to talk about her journey of being caffeine-free for about 10 months and get her unique experiences as her journey from day one to 10 months in. Megan, would you like to introduce yourself and talk about how you quit caffeine? What was the main reasons and impetus for breaking free? Sure. So I'm Megan and I was one of the biggest coffee fanatics out there. I'm sure everybody says that, but I definitely was. I started drinking coffee when I was 13 years old on my 13th birthday. And I got my first iced coffee from Starbucks and then that was it. And then as soon as I could start driving, I mean, I would be at Starbucks sometimes multiple times a day. I became a gold member. So I would get refills on the iced coffees and cold brews. And it was just uh, coffee was my life. It was like what I was known for when I was in school and among my friends. And it was, um, I never saw the day that I would actually quit it, but it was recently, it was last November and I, well, it was my brother actually was kind of similar in his journey with coffee and he introduced me to the book Caffeine Blues. But before that, I was already realizing in my mind that coffee, there's no way it can be healthy. I know that's something you can, I'm sure you can look up health benefits of coffee and there will be some articles about it. But the more I started to become interested in health and wellness, I started to realize that, well, maybe I was thinking that coffee isn't that bad, but it definitely isn't healthy. And the more I looked into it, especially after reading Caffeine Blues, I realized that, yeah, this is, in fact, it's not just not healthy. It's actually extremely detrimental. And I guess the biggest reason too, is I wanted to be as connected to myself as possible. And I just feel like it's impossible to do on caffeine because the thoughts that you have when you're drinking coffee and on that coffee high are often completely different than yourself in your mellow natural state. On your YouTube video that I watched, you said you were consuming about 900 milligrams of caffeine. Yeah, probably per day. Per day, right. I looked at a lot of studies and it seems like they say anywhere from between about 100 milligrams to 400 milligrams they would recommend or consider safe. The book Caffeine Blues, which I read as well, he clearly thinks that it's well less than 100 milligrams. They're really hard to find any studies because none of them look at anything above 400 milligrams, which the average person who goes to Starbucks is probably getting double that on a daily basis, if not more. That doesn't include if you're consuming chocolate or if you're having a Coca-Cola in the afternoon and with dinner, or even if you're having ice cream or pastries or whatever, which puts caffeine in those things just to get people hooked on it. Yeah, absolutely. I've calculated 
how much caffeine I was consuming. And I was probably on about 1500 to 1800 milligrams a day. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. In the book, Caffeine Blues, he mentions how it takes about three weeks minimum to kind of wean yourself off up to even years, depending on how much caffeine and how long you've been on it. So you're 10 months in right now. How have you progressed like each month? That's a great question. The beginning was so difficult, especially the first day. Actually, I remember the very first day that I didn't drink coffee, I was just exhausted. All I wanted to do was lay in bed and sleep. And I I took a nap for the first time in so long because that's the thing I realized too. Whenever I was drinking coffee all day, even if I would get tired, I couldn't lay down and go to sleep because my mind was just going and going. So instead I would just drink more coffee. But that first day I just slept a lot. And that first week too, I slept more than usual and took naps. And then I just felt like I had absolutely no energy at all. Like my body felt so tired. My mind, not so much. My mind felt maybe normal, but my body just couldn't do anything. And that lasted for, I would say I felt like that for the first six months, honestly. It was hard. It definitely was not easy. And The adrenal fatigue as well. I think that's something that everybody will go through. People will argue and say it's just a theory. But if you think about it, what the caffeine does is it stimulates our adrenals, that fight or flight response, which is supposed to be there to protect us. Maybe if we're driving and almost get in an accident, we get that like flushed feeling through us and it makes us alert. So we don't do that again. Or in nature, it would be like the tiger in the jungle or something. If you see the tiger, you're going to get yourself together. Your adrenals are going to be, I guess, fired up. So that way you can flight or fight or flight or whatever. So with caffeine, it's doing that to us all the time. And when we're drinking it every day, so it literally just fatigues and tires our adrenals. And then I guess your body has to learn how to make its own energy again and rely on that instead of the stimulants. It did slowly progress month to month. I mean, like I said, the first six months were pretty, well, I would say the first three to four months were pretty much the same. I mean, a little progression. Then between four and six months, it got a little bit better. And then after about the six month mark, I started to genuinely feel good and energized without it. And then as far as like coffee cravings go, even now, sometimes I'll think like, oh, wow, it would be nice to have a cup of coffee and read a book or something. But I think it's more that associates it with the experience of coffee itself rather than the actual stimulant, if that makes sense. Um, Of course, in the beginning, the coffee cravings are really strong, but eventually those die out. And I also believe too, that with certain foods, we can heal faster and then get more natural energy. Do you think it was a little bit easier to quit with with COVID going on, not having to, because coffee for most people is probably more social than almost anything, or it certainly has a huge social component, just food in general, really, but especially coffee and alcohol. Yeah, because people went out less. So I would say for sure. But then again, people were also at home more. So maybe they were making more coffee at home or something too. Yeah, I mean, I'm on day 70. So you're quite a bit further along. The reason I quit was a little different. I was searching the stimulation sedation cycle, which is basically where you consume caffeine in the morning, whether it's your morning tea or cup of coffee, energy drink, and then the afternoon, you kind of crash. So then you consume more caffeine, maybe sugar. And then at night you smoke weed or drink alcohol. I was trying to reduce my alcohol intake, but then I couldn't sleep at all. So then I was like, well, 
I was reading about the stimulation sedation cycle. So I'm like, well, I cut out the sedation. So maybe I just got to cut out the stimulation. So I cut out the caffeine and then I just naturally did not want to drink. I was pretty surprised just to see how cutting out the one beverage eliminated the beverage in the evening. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I can definitely, I haven't looked into that specifically, but just you saying it, I can see how that is true. Especially we drink it in the morning, you get the afternoon crash and it's like you need more. Yeah, you need more and you ultimately consume too much because what's the half-life of caffeine? It's five to seven hours. If you have that ap- afternoon cup, you're still having a significant amount of caffeine actually in your system the time you go to bed. That was the main reason. And then now I'm at the point where I kind of have my same energy level in the morning as I did before. So I really don't want to go back to drinking caffeine. And like I said, I think it's more, I don't really miss the taste actually of coffee, but I, it's just kind of like, oh, I like to have that warm beverage in my hand in the morning more so than anything. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. Something else I wanted to touch on that I forgot to mention. This was especially true in, for the first couple months. I had really weird energy patterns. In the morning, actually, I had a lot of energy. Like when I would first wake up in the morning, I had more energy than I ever had before. But then around like 10 a.m., 11 a.m., I would just get a major crash that would last all the way until 4 p.m. And then in the afternoon, I would randomly get another burst of energy again. So it was really weird. Yeah, I was reading some of the comments from your YouTube video, and it seemed like several people also mentioned that. I really never experienced that, but everyone certainly has different kind of symptoms. Did you just quit cold turkey? Like you just went from your 900 milligrams to zero? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I did the same thing. And and Caffeine Blues, I mean, he recommends for people, I think his high category is either 900 or 1,000 milligrams per day. So we both would have been in that. And he recommends for those people to kind of tailor it off. But I've always been kind of just like off the Band-Aid type of guy. Do you think that you would have had maybe an easier time that first month, 45 days, if you would have weaned yourself off? It's possible. And maybe that should be recommended for most people. But the way I looked at it was every time that I ingest this, I know I'm poisoning myself. So why would I continue to poison myself? That's kind of the way I looked at it. I think it really did feel good to know that I wasn't ingesting toxins anymore. That helped. Have you told like friends or family about this and what's been the reaction? None of them saw it coming. I recently connected with old friends that I had a couple of years ago and we went to Starbucks the other day and I didn't, I just got water and they were like, what? You stopped drinking coffee because I was the person who got all my friends to start drinking coffee. So they didn't expect it at all. A lot of them, they understand that coffee probably isn't that good. So they admire it. But for most people, they just continue either drinking it or. Yeah. I told several people and kind of just been talking about how go from having full energy, whatever, just having a normal life. And then you quit caffeine in the first, I, for me, the first, I thought month was really hard. The first two weeks, I was like a zombie, even day 40, I was still pretty much out of it. And I would tell people about it and they're like, Oh, there's something else is wrong with you. Like caffeine doesn't affect you that much. Like I could just quit caffeine and then two weeks later, a week later, be back to normal. I don't think people really understand how toxic it really is because people don't necessarily think of it as a drug, even though it is. I mean, it is on the DSM-4. There's an actual diagnostic in that book for withdrawal, which does show you how toxic it actually is. Yeah, I did get some of those as well. And now I think about it. And 
a couple conversations I had with somebody in spe- specifically who said a sort of similar thing that adrenal fatigue, there's no proof of it ever existing. And that, um, yeah, I guess the only response I had was, well, do you drink coffee? And then he said, yes. And I said, okay, well then get off of it cold Turkey and then see for yourself if you experience these symptoms. Yeah. Have you read Michael Pullian's latest book about how he quit caffeine for 90 days? No, I haven't. He talks about how he basically was in like a brain fog. He wasn't even sure if he was going to be able to write the book. He was told that to really understand caffeine, you have to get off of it because you're never going to understand its effects unless you get off of it and then try it again. Try it after a clean, kind of a, a clean slate, so to speak. He was shocked at how potent it is. And I think he says to this day, he only drinks it one day a week as a special treat on like a Saturday. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's a really great point. That's so true that until you get off of it, you don't know its effects at all. Yeah. And I think that is very true. I quit alcohol and caffeine at the same time. So a few days ago I was at a party, it was day 68 and I actually drank beer. So I had beer for the first time in 68 days and it tasted like the exact first time I drank a beer, which is horrible. Is, you know, before you acquire the taste for it, I think maybe day 200, I'll try caffeine or try coffee again and see if I dislike the taste. I imagine one of my friends also is he got off caffeine for three weeks and he tried tea for the first time after three weeks. And he said he spit it out. He couldn't stand the taste of it. Oh, really? Wow. You acquire a taste for a lot of things, but after you get it out of your system, it's amazing how you can reset if you can taste something and you just don't like it for the first time i think it's your body's way of kind of telling you something if you have to acquire a taste for anything whether it's caffeine or coffee tea alcohol i think that says a lot about the actual substance you're putting into your body yeah yeah i agree i agree because our natural senses will tell us right away like oh nope this is not good for me yeah absolutely Drink coffee again, kind of like a Mike Poland, where you're gonna, or Michael Poland, where you're gonna maybe do it every once in a while, or you're gonna be off like forever? That's a good question. Right now, I have no desire to drink it. I just don't wanna mess anything up that I have going. Maybe in the future, I'll drink it once as like a one time thing. For right now, I would say I don't have any plans to drink it. Are you able to focus and just everything you did when you were? drinking the 900 milligrams of coffee a day, you're back to that where you can just think and focus and get work done and be like a functional person again? Yeah, definitely. I'm not dependent on it anymore. I feel a lot more calm and centered too, as in I know my energy is coming from me, not an outside stimulant. And like I said, it wasn't like that in the beginning though. In fact, in the beginning, I had so many things that I wanted to do and work on, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I would start to work and I would get angry. Like I would have flashes of just anger come into me a lot in the beginning. So I guess that's something I would recommend to people that if they are going to get off a coffee in the beginning, just expect to be okay with doing little to nothing. Because I don't know if you had a similar experience, but you just, in the beginning, you just don't want to do anything. You don't have the same energy that you did on coffee in the beginning. The good news is eventually... Like I said, after about the six month mark, at least for me, and maybe even a little bit earlier, your natural energy starts to resurface and you're not dependent on it at all. Yeah, I had the same thing. I really had a tough time. My first month, I really didn't do anything. I, I was uh, kind of like a, just a zombie, so to speak. 
and then it's it slowly got better but it wasn't exponentially it was just kind of incrementally i think for a lot of people it'd be really hard like my friend that went three weeks he's got two young kids under four and a wife and works a full-time job plus a part-time job and he just had a really hard time his kid was sick for a few days and he didn't get sleep for basically two nights and he's like i just can't do it anymore i need to to drink some caffeine and we're i'm kind of in a different situation but i just wish i never got to the point where i was so dependent on it and i never really thought that i did i had a dream that i woke up and my girlfriend broke up with me because she's like you're using again and i was like what i've never used and she's like you're back on the caffeine (laughs) when did you start drinking coffee for the first time uh i can't i mean i'm 39 right now and i never really drank caffeine as a kid i didn't drink coffee i didn't even drink coffee in college i used to be a power lifter and so i used to do like pre-workouts which have a lot of caffeine so i only had caffeine on days that i worked out and i'd go years without it maybe about eight years ago i think i started using it using uh, or drinking coffee daily i never really drank tea but just just uh, about eight years ago, and I, I think just like everyone else, when you start drinking coffee, you probably have one cup, and then one cup turns into two, and then it turns into a whole pot. Before I quit, I was drinking like 12 cups of coffee, plus I'd have like a monster energy drink in the afternoon, and then I would have like another couple espressos. I never really even thought anything about it if it wasn't for the fact that I quit drinking alcohol for 30 days and like it was the worst experience because I, I couldn't sleep. I would just stay awake all night and I never really realized that I was in that stimulation sedation cycle. And then I was kind of like researching that why like I couldn't sleep. And then I was like, oh, it's obvious. Like I have so much caffeine in my system and I don't have anything to bring me down after I'm all amped up from the 2000 milligrams or close to it that I was consuming. Plus when I didn't drink the alcohol, I just drank more caffeine. So I probably was on those for that month, probably well over 2000 milligrams a day. That is so crazy. Oh my gosh. I'm also really curious to know too, like what, if there are long-term effects that we'll experience from all of the caffeine we ingested or if, because I know I'm sure it stores in the body as well. So I wonder how that detoxes or I mean, I also the body's really resilient, so it can repair itself. But do you know anything about the long-term effects? I was researching a lot of it, and you just don't find anything because no one's really researched it. A lot of the studies will be short-term, and they show you like your blood pressure goes up and what most people know. One of the only resources that you can find is the book Caffeine Blues, and that book was written in the late 90s. I would love to see a more updated version, but I don't think that the people that are actually going to fund that, the corporations that are going to fund these studies would actually want those studies to be out anyways. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge business. And plus most of, I mean, I'm sure people all over the world, not just the Western world, but it's still reliant on caffeine. Yeah. Why would they publish anything that goes against it? Cause it would be yeah, a major profit loss. When you read any study and it says how it was funded and it's always big companies, whether it's Mars or Pepsi it's like sport drinks, like Gatorade. The Gatorade Institute funds the vast majority of studies. Beer that has less than 3% alcohol is actually more hydrating than Gatorade. But they're not, of course, going to tell you that, at least not in their own studies. But if you read studies that aren't funded by Gatorade, it just shows you you're basically drinking 
sugar water. Yeah, exactly. The same thing with the caffeine. It's sad because a lot of people, because they don't really have the literature out there, they're not really going to believe that it's bad. Plus, people don't want to believe that it's bad. Just like in the book, Caffeine Blues, it talks about how a lot of doctors and researchers themselves use this substance. So why would they want to research something that's just going to take away their morning cup of joy, so to speak? Yeah, exactly. I was actually thinking of writing a book to pass the torch from Caffeine Blues and have an updated version. Then I was trying to find the studies to validate it and it just wasn't really there. It's one of those things where so many people would benefit from being off caffeine or at least cutting down their caffeine, especially with COVID and everything that's going on right now. It's just the amount of anxiety that it has. I've never really had anxiety. And I think that was one of the things I've noticed though is looking back with everything going on now and you look at a lot of the studies and that is one thing the studies do show is that caffeine certainly does raise anxiety and it doesn't take a whole lot only a couple hundred milligrams to really even show that so what is it doing for people that are at over a thousand milligrams a day yeah exactly yeah i can't even imagine i mean i would love to see more long-term studies on everything just like a 30-year study, but it's so hard when it comes to nutrition because this is the caffeine or puts in so many things in your body. It's not like everyone, no one's a human calculator. You don't know what is interacting with other stuff. The biggest thing I noticed right off the bat was my sleep was way better. My dreams were super vivid. And I almost felt like my dreams were like when I was a kid again, but then I have like really bad nightmares now. And so it's just like when I was a kid. So sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to bed because I'm going to have like this horrible nightmare. But that was like the first thing I noticed. But outside of that, my first month, that was probably the only benefit that I would say that I had was one, I was sleeping better. And two, I was sleeping less. I did experience that as well. I slept better, but definitely less. But like I said, when I woke up, I had a lot of energy. It just only lasted for a couple hours until mid-morning. Then it just crashed again. Right. And then you take a nap. I would try, but I couldn't always sleep. I would just wait it out until, yeah, 4 or 5 p.m. Then I would just get a flush of energy again. Michael Poland, when he was talking about it, he said he was sleeping like 14 hours a day or he could have slept as long as he wanted if he would have let himself. He said he was like back to being like a teenager. And I think like, I mean, they talk about like the sleep that when you're consuming caffeine, you're really just not getting the amount of sleep that you should. I would imagine if you were to consume caffeine for like 30 years, your sleep depth has to be like absolutely insane. And that was one of the reasons I'm happy I'm doing it now. I would think if you were drinking coffee for 30 years, it would take years to recover from it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what you mentioned earlier too about the half-life, that's so true because uh, then you go to quarter life and everything. So the caffeine that you drink in the morning still sticks with you into the night. And then it's even worse if you drink more caffeine before bed or before or like mid-afternoon yeah absolutely yeah the quarter life you're exactly right than the eighth life even if you have a cup of coffee first thing in the morning and don't even drink any more coffee the rest of the day you'll still actually have some caffeine in the system and i was reading studies that they tested 60 milligrams and everyone's sleep was affected by 60 milligrams i don't really go to starbucks too much but the smallest size cup at Starbucks has 261 milligrams of caffeine. Wow. And then, of course, too, you take into account the sugar that's added into it, 
the processed creamers and then even sometimes chocolate syrup too. So that's even more caffeine. And then I think that's another thing too, is that people don't realize that there's so much more sources of caffeine, like you mentioned earlier, other than just coffee, chocolates and sodas, energy drinks, all of that. You brought up a good point. I wrote it down here earlier about how when you're drinking caffeine, you don't really understand who you truly are. And I think that's like Michael Pollan brought that up in some of the interviews I I watched and you brought it up in your YouTube video as well, which I thought was a really good point. And it fits in with the stimulation sedation cycle, which is you get up in the morning. First thing you do is consume caffeine in whatever form you choose. Then a lot of people will smoke marijuana or drink alcohol. So they basically went their entire waking cycle without ever having their normal state of subconsciousness or consciousness. And I think that's really interesting. When you said that in your YouTube video, when you talked about understanding who you truly are, I thought that was really good. Cause I, I do think a lot of people just like drink alcohol, especially at night where they drink alcohol or um, and it's probably the same thing with, with caffeine on a less conscious level is you just drink it because you're bored and people don't like being in their own head. That's one of the biggest things when you actually do reduce or cut out caffeine, though, is you are getting out of your head. It's a better state of mind, I would say. Definitely. Yeah. You become more in tune with yourself, your nature, and you think more for yourself, too. Like You can see which thoughts and ideas come whenever you have caffeine in your system because it's usually just really spontaneous ideas that just uh and then when you're not on caffeine it's a lot more mellow it's really interesting to see the difference yeah it is it is interesting to see the difference you've at 10 months i would imagine you've had like a whole you've gone through the whole range i would think i'm really curious on what day 100 will be you know a little over three months and um, six months. I mean, I'm hoping to be fully recovered after six months. And that just shows you, I think, how toxic it is that you're looking at a half a year to get over to get over something. It's on the line of like cigarettes or something, which people know for a fact is horrible for them. Exactly. Yeah, that's so true. Because in the beginning, too, I was expecting like six weeks and six weeks, I'll be good. But no, I was way off. So what would if you were to... Um, recommend some tips for a beginner trying to to quit or someone that's maybe thinking about reducing or quitting caffeine how would if you could kind of do it over or just things that you did well what would you recommend i would recommend the first thing is getting educated and reading a book like caffeine blues or what was the name of the book the other one that you mentioned the uh the one by michael Pollan. Mm-hmm. yeah i forget the the exact name is not, it's, it's only on audibles. It's just an audio, um, audible form. So um, I forget the name of it. Okay. No problem. Well, I'm sure they can just look up his name and find it, but getting educated. So reading books like those, that's the first step because then you start to know what you're really putting into your body and what you're really doing to yourself. Um, and then I think another thing that helps is to associate that coffee essentially is a poison. Every time you ingest it, to understand intellectually that you are putting poison into your body, that also helps because then you might have the craving, but you can see that, wait a second, this is literally poison. Let me not ingest that. And then discipline is also important, but that just comes with reminding yourself what it really is. And then the final thing I would say too is eating foods that are going to give you a lot of energy naturally. I think raw dairy products can be helpful. 
as well. But also too, there's certain foods that if you still want the same energy, maybe doing like um, fruit paired with a raw fat, like raw dairy or raw milk or something could help to give you uh, that burst of energy, but it'll be more level-headed because you have the fat to bounce it out, which is kind of what we see with like coffee and creamer, but it obviously doesn't work the same like that. So that's yeah. something that I'd recommend. Have you ever tried decaf or would you recommend something like decaf for anyone to, if they wanted to get the caffeine flavor or the coffee flavor without actually getting the caffeine in it, even though I know, decaf still has a little bit of caffeine still left in, in it. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if it helps them wean off a little bit in the beginning, like if they do the plan that was mentioned in the caffeine blues to just slowly narrow down your amount of coffee every day using a caffeine free substance, that is one way to go. But the way I look at it is it's kind of compared to the sugars versus the artificial sweeteners in that so people say, oh, if you want to get away from sugar, then do the artificial sweeteners. But in reality, the artificial sweeteners, I mean, there is research to prove this may be even worse because what happens is our body tries to recognize it as sugar, but it's not sugar. So it can't be processed like sugar and it can lead to all kinds of issues. I think it's similar to decaf coffee that it's just as much a stimulant because caffeine isn't the only problem. I know there are other chemicals and elements in it as well. Either way, it, your body will still recognize it as a toxin and it will still tire your adrenal. So maybe it's a little bit better than ca coffee fully loaded with caffeine, but I would still say, I think the best thing to do in it is just to go cold turkey. But if that's not somebody's thing, then yes, doing that and slowly weaning it off might be a helpful option. Yeah. And I think even in the book, like caffeine, caffeine blues, I mean, he talks about decaf coffee and says there's over 200 different chemicals in there so you're essentially only reducing one when you reduce the caffeine and there's a lot of other chemicals that kind of wreak havoc on your stomach and things like that one of the other main things i've noticed right away was the bathroom schedule so to speak definitely was changed I always heard coffee was bad for your gut and being off it i think that's almost one of the biggest benefits i really noticed the whole bathroom experience has just definitely changed in a healthier way talking about the bathroom can kind of be an uncomfortable topic but there's a lot of people that have whether it's ibs or other orders but I, like in the book caffeine blues he talks about i mean if you drink coffee first thing in the morning and then you automatically have to go to the bathroom it's not a good sign and you're fairly far along in terms of how your body is addicted to coffee if you need it to go to the bathroom and i think most people they just look at it, look at that as like, oh, that's normal. When in fact, that's not normal. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Among bathroom experiences, I do think it is important to talk about because we all go through it. You have to go to the bathroom like so frequently all the time. And um, well, I mean, there's different types. I know what you mean though. If you drink coffee in the morning and you have to run to the bathroom. Yeah, that's, if anything that happens, if you consume something and that every time you consume it gives you that same reaction and it never goes away, that's a sign that, hey, your body doesn't want that. Also, too, if you're constantly having to pee throughout the day, which is also what coffee did. It did that to me, at least. And my mom as well, I've noticed that in her, that you, you think of all the electrolytes, too, that you're losing. In the book, 
again, Caffeine Blues, we keep, keep referencing, which is a great book if you're thinking about quitting coffee, quitting caffeine in general. But he talks about how women are certainly more affected and more sensitive to caffeine. For yourself, I know in your YouTube video, you talked about how you started drinking coffee at 13, which is pretty young. Do you think that had any effects at all in those years that you're still developing? Yeah, unfortunately, I think so. Yeah, I definitely had to. As far as what effects, I'm not sure, but it's definitely not ideal for a child like that who is still growing and developing. And that's a really pivotal time in life to be ingesting caffeine. I was jittery all the time. I became dependent on it. So like I said, how that is going to affect me now and later in life, I'm not sure exactly, which like you said, because there's not a lot of long-term research about this. In the book, he talks about how when you're taking caffeine, it actually it's, does. People think that they're more focused, but they're really not. It's just kind of like that feeling that you get when you get flat or flat response versus actually sitting down, taking a test, might sit down, do okay, but then you're going to kind of fade off as you go. So when you're in school, it's really like, yeah, you're, you'll stay awake, but you're not having productive time. And I think you did a good job in your YouTube video kind of talking about it. Like, yeah, you have energy, but is it necessarily the energy that's that you want to have? Is it productive energy? For yeah. a lot of people, the answer to that would really be no, but people wouldn't necessarily think that. And it does take a while to, once you get off of it, to be able to get back to having what you would consider normal. It's really just a way different feeling. Yeah, exactly. The way I can describe coffee, like if you want to do a lot but accomplish little to nothing then drink coffee that's kind of what it does like you get coffee you just want to read everything you want to write you want to do whatever you're doing but then I look back and I'm like what did I actually accomplish I did so much I was so busy but real tangible things that I accomplished I see why people do it though because sometimes we do need that rush and that pull but I think what happens is it's not that we accomplish nothing I shouldn't say that because a lot of research I did back then was still helpful today but I guess the way to describe it is you get a, um, I don't even know. Okay. Let me think how to, how to say what I was going to say. It left me. Yeah. You basically get uh, just sudden urges. You have all these ideas come to you, all this energy. And it's kind of like restless energy within you. And you're just constantly trying to do, do, do. And then, you might miss out on actual important things that you should be doing, if that makes sense. You kind of lose your, the ironic part is that coffee is supposed to help you focus, so to say. But the way I look at it is it actually kind of helps you lose your focus because you might be working on one thing, but then you have all these ideas like bouncing around in your head and then you jump to the next thing and then to the next thing. So I guess what I was trying to say is that you're getting a lot done, but how interconnected is it all? Yeah. I mean, I think like Michael Pollan brings up a good point, which he talks about how the drugs that society chooses to have as the ones that they deem acceptable says a lot about that society. And for Western society, that drug of choice for over 90% of the population is is caffeine or, or coffee, tea, some form of caffeine and how it kind of lubricates the wheels of capitalism, especially back in more of the early days of the industrial revolution where people were more just kind of machines on a line and you didn't really necessarily need to think that much so if you're just sitting in a factory you need to 
be awake and just have that aimless energy. But if you're actually sitting down and say a surgeon, I mean, do you want your surgeon all amped up on 2000 milligrams of caffeine? Exactly. No, you would not because yeah, that's another way to put it too, is that you're just like in a like state all the time. Yeah. You would not want a surgeon to be on caffeine doing that. Right. Or any, really any person that really just has to sit down and do analytical work and really be focused and concentrated for a long period of time. And when you're, when your work can have dire consequences, you don't want that person all, I guess you should say maybe over caffeinated. You definitely want that person alert and awake, but not that artificial, the artificial awakeness, so to speak. I think for myself on the day 70, it's just amazing how it's just been like a roller coaster ride. I first said two or three weeks, just like a zombie stay. Then I thought I would just kind of have like this breakthrough. And I never really had that breakthrough. Every day just kind of got like incrementally better. And I think for the average person, it would be really, really hard to to just kind of break free. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to do like this particular podcast. Because when I was trying to research it, I really couldn't find a whole lot of resources out there. The studies really aren't necessarily there because they don't want them to be there. They're not going to research the most used drug in the world and say it's it has bad consequences. It's amazing, though. You'll be on Google and you'll see, like, oh, coffee is bad for you. Then the next day, I'll be like, oh, coffee's good for you. And it's the whole expression, the dose makes the poison. Maybe 100 milligrams of caffeine isn't going isn't gonna to hurt you. But there's a far difference between 100 milligrams and 500 or 1,000 or more. Yeah, definitely. What was the hardest day for you? The hardest day was, day one wasn't actually that hard. Day two was by far the hardest. And then really day two to probably day like 14, day 15. The third week was easier, but it wasn't like a whole lot easier. I never had any headaches. I read that was a pretty common side effect. I think I would have preferred headaches, honestly, over just being like a zombie. Physically, I felt fine. I just had low energy, and I really just couldn't focus on anything. I'm mostly like a blogger. I wrote 154 blogs in a year. Since I've done this, I've actually wrote zero blogs. In 70 days, I've done zero blogs. I'm curious to see when I'll have that motivation. So far... Every day has gotten better, but I still wouldn't say that I am kind of before, you know, how I feel before I I quit the caffeine 70 days ago. Yeah. How did you cope with it, especially in the beginning? I tried just to kind of distract myself, I guess. I mean, I live in Puerto Rico. I live on the beach. I just went swimming more and I just tried to focus on myself. I started my own business a few years ago and it's just like, oh, I got to get all this stuff done and get all this stuff stuff done. But then you realize that you're just running yourself into the ground. And I thought that I should take this opportunity to reset my body, riding 12, 14 hours a day, if not more. And I was having back problems and getting like carpal tunnel and just having shoulder problems, just having my body was getting worn down. And I was just always just pounding coffee all day riding and then I go for a bike ride in the afternoon or go swimming and so I just started just swimming like three or four times a day I was jogging a couple miles a day I started meditating and that's a big thing I noticed the difference between meditating while drinking 
coffee and meditating without is a completely different experience. I've meditated every day for about three years now. That experience changed completely, which I was fairly like shocked to notice that. Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Like it's, it's so different. Yeah. I've never, everything's completely different. It's definitely harder. Quitting alcohol was easy. First week after not drinking any alcohol or the first day, second day, whatever. It's like, oh, whatever. You don't really miss it. It's just more of a social thing. But the the coffee, you notice it in every aspect, like from just going to the bathroom or not going to the bathroom. It's amazing how the color of your poop just completely changes. Every facet of life, caffeine, tea, whatever it is, really affects you in every aspect of your life. Yeah. Something else too I wanted to touch on was I started to notice this kind of when I got off of coffee as well, that I started to become in tune with what's real and what actually exists, which is a deeper subject. But maybe I talked about it in the video when I was at a farm I was visiting and there was, you know, it was in the country, there wasn't a big city around and there was just a couple different families and there were animals as well. And I was just watching the goats and just seeing how in tune with reality they are, that they're not thinking of the past necessarily or the future, as far as we know. I mean, they're just, as far as they present themselves, they're just in the moment, just being. And I really just had a, like, like a whiff come over me of, wow, like, this is real. This is reality. This is nature. And this is, and I think a lot of that speaks to us, to how we're also supposed to be in that kind of Zen state of completeness in tune with reality. Whereas in coffee, going back to the topic of productivity earlier, how we do a lot, but really get nothing done. If you think about it, like what kind of things really matter in life? What will be here after we leave? And if we took away all the material things, what would actually be here? And usually what we're left with is the essentials, right? Food, animals, people, relationships, all of that. I just think it's interesting that that was really something that opened up within me that I started to realize the difference between what's real and then what isn't real. And what isn't real are kind of most of the constructs of just modern society, the the, um, hustle lifestyle. I'm not saying those things are either good or bad, just what is reality and what isn't reality. Um, Something else too, and this came as when I made changes in my diet as well, but I started to become more in tune with my femininity for the first time. And this makes sense to me because... um, somebody explained it to me like this before. And I thought it was a great explanation that usually when women are in super high stress states, they adopt sort of like masculine roles or they step more into masculine energy and well, coffee and I mean, caffeine in itself is a major stimulant. So, and I can maybe imagine to you what that could do to men on the other side If a stimulant like that increases masculinity or masculine energy in women. Maybe it also is part of what creates a feminine energy in men as well. That's just a theory though. Yeah. In the, in the book, Caffeine Blues, he talks about like type A personality and type B personality. And it's like, are you really type A or is that just the, the caffeine telling you that you're type A? I think that's definitely one of the things I've noticed as well. It's just more relaxed and more laid back and you're not agitated as easily. Yeah. Maybe you have more, more patience. And I think that's, it's definitely a benefit but I don't know, like you're you're saying, there's so many other factors that go into it that they haven't studied. I'm sure there's, you could have 
a thousand page book. I mean, Caffeine Blues was, I think, over 400 pages, and that book could have been longer. It doesn't even talk on all the phases, all, all the aspects of caffeine, but there's just not enough research to really talk about. He has a section talking about caffeine when you're pregnant, and it's probably something you'd want to avoid. And there's just, it goes into so many different things. So, like, would you want your baby all caffeinated up? Definitely not. Yeah, exactly. That's another thing that I was thinking about too, that uh, I know in the book, he really mentioned that caffeine is especially detrimental to women. And I think that's because yeah, we are the childbearing animals. We, that's our, uh, our job. And so if you think about it, if that caffeine is stored up within you, so I'm thinking within me right now, then how is that going to affect my children? Will that go into them as well? And then also too, for women who breastfeed, if you were drinking coffee during your pregnancy, then, or even before, like, does some of the caffeine molecules stay in the milk and then go into your child that way? So it's just, I, I think that's also why nutrition is so important for, I think both men and women, because really how we take care of our bodies affects the next generation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you notice any weight loss or weight gain or food cravings? What did you notice from that standpoint? I lost a lot of weight when I first not that I, I didn't really have any weight to lose, but I think it was mostly probably because I cut the alcohol out at the same time. And so I was probably reducing my caloric intake by like a thousand calories. But I, I noticed that I had to eat just a lot more, but my whole palate changed as well. Yeah, good question. So for most people who drink maybe coffee with lots of sugar and stuff, I can see how getting off of that would result in weight loss or other things like alcohol. For me, I didn't experience that because I would either drink black coffee or coffee with just a little bit of like heavy cream. I would never add any sweeteners to it. In fact, I think I gained weight, but it didn't have anything to do with the coffee. I just started, I started eating differently and I was consuming a lot of raw milk, which, I mean, I don't know if it's proven that that helped, but I assume that that definitely did help ease things out a little bit. But of course, uh, raw milk, you know, milk in itself is for growth, so in that realm, I gained weight. Okay. Okay. Interesting. My very first day that I, I quit caffeine, I just decided to do a complete fast day. And before I've done, sometimes I would do like the five, two diets. I would eat food five days a week and then fast two days a week. And it was the easiest fast I ever had was cutting out the caffeine. Just like being able to sleep earlier, just didn't even think about food at all. I could have went several days without eating. So I thought that was interesting for a lot of people that like to do intermittent fasting, whether that's the AF or just doing 16-8, whatever. It was way easier to fast. When I was intermittent fasting before, I wish I would have been off coffee because that was the hardest part of fasting was just being all amped up. Yeah. Are you still doing intermittent fasting now? No, I stopped intermittent fasting this year. I'm not opposed to doing it again. Just right now with my schedule, it just doesn't, it's a little bit easier right now with my schedule to eat it a couple times a day, but before it just fit better with my schedule. I'm not opposed to going back to intermittent fasting, but I did intermittent fasting for about seven years. On a different note, have you found that any specific ways of eating or just things that you do in your life that have helped you along your journey so far being off of coffee? Not really. I quit cold turkey as well. And after I read Caffeine Blues after I quit. So maybe I would have had a different approach had I 
read the book prior, I tend to think kind of like you that it just get done with it. I think you're just kind of delaying it. Maybe I'll make the first two weeks easier, maybe a little bit, even that I'm kind of suspect, but if you're going to reduce your intake, I was reading an article that said to reduce your caffeine intake by 10% every two weeks. If I were to have done that, it would have taken weeks to get off. And then I feel like maybe you'd have headaches. And I think you might just be kind of changing the symptoms that you have versus in delaying it more so than than benefiting you. And for most people, no one has that kind of time to, mm-hmm. to reduce by 10%. If I could do it over again, I don't really think honestly I would do anything differently. It's just like anything in life. The main thing is you just have to do it. Everyone talks about a lot of things. It's making that first step. And for, for people, if that's easier to make that first step to switch to decaf, then that's something that you should do. But if it's easier just to be like, oh, I'm not going to do it. I think for, for a lot of people, at least for myself, I just, I threw away my, all my coffee. I threw away my coffee maker and I threw away all the coffee I had left and I didn't even want to see it. Same thing with my, with whenever I stopped drinking alcohol, I just take everything out of the fridge. So I don't have to see it out of sight, out of mind. If you're going to be reducing your coffee intake for a lot of people too, it's, it's hard. It's like tea. If you have a tea bag steeping for two and a half minutes versus five minutes, you're doubling the amount of caffeine that you're actually consuming. So it'd be really hard to be like, oh, I'm just going to drink two cups of tea. Well, what if you let that one tea bag seep longer, then you might actually be consuming the exact same amount of caffeine, even though you're consuming less total tea bags. Yeah. Yeah. That's also a good point. Yeah. I didn't think about that. For the average person, they would definitely be better off either cutting out completely or having some type of system where they're able to exactly measure. Coffee is a little bit easier to regulate versus tea. You have to set a timer. And of course, the temperature and everything's going to be a little different. But I think for the average person, you have to do a little work to track how much you're consuming. For most people, that's a barrier. I used to personal train. And one of the first things I would always have clients do is keep a food journal people had a really hard time just keeping a basic food journal. I'm like, don't even break it down into calories or break it down into the macros. Just write down what you had and people couldn't even do that. So I think for the average person, it's like, just just get rid of it completely and you can go from there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. One of the things I really liked that you said was you're talking about fake happiness. And then you gave an example of I think it was a cover, a book that had a cover of someone talking about happiness, then it had coffee on the front. How is your happiness levels, your moods? How do you feel just in in general right now, I guess I would say compared to 10 months ago? 10 months ago, it was a lot of, yeah, the highs and lows, the fake happiness, the inauthentic happiness, because that happiness is coming from the substance. What I really started to notice a I mean, if we really even look at the word happiness, I think it's supposed to be just a, a normal, like the natural state of mind. You look at the goats in the field and they're just happy all the time because that's just their natural state. I think it's supposed to be like that for us as well, but because of the toxins that we ingest, whether it's from food or our environment, it affects us negatively. So what I would say now is I, I really do owe a lot of it to diet and lifestyle, but a general level of contentness and happiness that comes from, um, yeah, I think food is a big part of it. And it goes back to your gut flora as well. Coffee beans were found in Ethiopia. The goats were eating the coffee cherries off the bushes. To think like how processed coffee is, I think that was 
one aspect that I really thought about just because it's provided by nature. It's so much work to actually make coffee. We just see it in a bag. You open the bag up and you pour into a coffee maker and you're done. But to actually find the coffee tree, take the berries off, take the seeds out, you got to roast them, grind them up. There's a huge process to it. It's a lot different than just picking a coffee cherry off the tree and chewing on it versus the process that we go through and the difference in caffeine that we're getting between those two processes is just a night and day difference. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I agree. He talks about that again in Caffeine Blues, but basically if you could get caffeine in its pure form, he says it looks very similar to cocaine and it doesn't take a whole lot to, to actually kill you, which most people are like, oh, you can never, you can never drink too much coffee. That might be true in a sense, but in terms of the actual caffeine that's in it, that's a different story. And most people, I don't yeah. necessarily think that's something that really bothers them. Like, oh, it's, it's a wonder drug. It's a wonder drug. You can consume as much as you want. And we know that's not to be true. I think most people that are heavy coffee drinkers probably know it's not that healthy if they're consuming that much, if they're jittery, their heart's pounding, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the interesting thing is that a lot of people, I don't think realize how much of a drug it is too. Like, I don't think they make the realization that it's just as much of a drug, if not more than anything else out there. Maybe if they saw this as an actual drug, it's an addiction. I mean, people joke about, they're like, Oh, you know, addicted to coffee, but I don't think they really understand the implications of that. Yeah, I think that is very true. And I also think since they don't put the milligrams on a lot of stuff, no one really knows how much they're getting. And I think when you start yeah. like adding everything up together, you realize that you're consuming. Even I think a lot, I wouldn't be surprised if the average person is consuming at least 500 milligrams. I know in Coffee Blues and I watched some documentaries, they say the average American consumes something like 200 milligrams a day. I don't know anyone that drinks coffee or two coffee or tea that consumes 200 milligrams most people i know consume probably between 500 and a thousand and 500 would be on the light end right right it's it's one thing to consume 50 milligrams which is what one cup of black tea but that's again assuming that you only steep the black tea for two and a half minutes which a lot of people just leave the tea bag in the entire time yeah, that's a good point. So they're getting more and more caffeine. Would be like the main takeaway point that you've had after 10 months. It's quite a long time to be caffeine free. So you have a very unique perspective, especially someone that was consuming 900 milligrams for six years or so. I would definitely say, just like it said in the book, that there is life after coffee. And like I titled the video I had that I quit coffee and life got even better. I would say that the incentives for somebody to quit coffee is one, just do it to experience what it feels like without it and do it maybe for at least three months. And then uh, really, I mean, understand it's going to be difficult in the beginning. I mean, I say you have to go at least six months to really get a feel for it, but then see what it feels like without it and how your life is actually the same, if not even elevated without it, because you have real ideas, uh, real happiness generally coming from within you rather than a substance. So I would also really emphasize on looking at coffee for what it is, a toxin, a substance. And I would also really understand how disease is created in the body because it's not just from, uh, it's not what we're told about, you know, 
catching germs and everything. It's so much more than that. It's really built up within the body. And uh, caffeine is another way that really destroys the body. So thinking about the effects long-term is also important. And seeing, I guess, see coffee for what it is rather than what you want it to be. And then from there, decide whether it's something that you want in your life or not. Yeah, I think those are a lot of good points. I noticed when I was watching a lot of YouTube videos, trying to do some research and I noticed that a lot of people quit for 30 days and they really just couldn't wait to get back to drinking coffee. I think it's kind of like a a bad way to go about it where you're like, oh, this is just a a temporary change, kind of ticking the days down to 30 so you can go right back into drinking it versus like, I'm just going to get over this completely. And I like how Michael Pullian's approach more so like three months. And that was one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you. When I saw your video, you were at five months, which was quite a bit longer than the most of the other videos that I saw. Five months is a pretty good length of time to have a pretty good perspective. And in 10 months, certainly you're almost a year, a year. And even at 70 days, I'm not even close to being able to go back on it. It's all good advice that you have. And I really appreciated your video and it gave me motivation to continue further along. Cause I, I feel like it's just really hard and you get to like day 40, day 45 and you're not feeling as good. And so you're like, Oh, maybe I'll just start drinking again. But like can watch some videos where people are further along than you really kind of shows you how you're feeling the same and that we're all kind of in the same boat. Your video was very helpful for me. So I was really happy to be able to talk to you and happy that you're 10 months and I'm, looking forward to get to that point as well. Thank you for having me on as well. And thank you for reaching out and yeah, best of luck within your journey. It definitely will get better. And yeah, I look forward to seeing how it progresses. That is it for this episode of El Podcast. And uh, all the links to uh, check out Ashley's work will be in the description below. And once again, if you have found us and you're not yet subscribed, please subscribe on YouTube and rumble and you can also download full podcasts on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and we will see you all on the next episode